most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Welcome to episode 162 of Keeping Up With The Joneses, where this week we're talking about how to steward the prophetic words over your life. We're answering questions on married life, church, and fivefold ministry, and most importantly, a snake update. But first, AJ Jones, how the heck are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I am doing good. It's been an interesting week. It has. Because for the first two days of the week, you were sick. Like a dog. And then for the last two days, you've actually been sick in bed. Like a dog. Like a dog. So everything in moderation. Yes, and we each got our turn. So that's all that really matters. <laughs> and it's totally thrown us because last week we recorded on a Friday instead of a Sunday. Yeah. Because the Sunday was going to be crazy. Yeah. So it's been 10 days, which feels really long. Right. And in the midst of that, we've been away. Yep. So let's recap the week. Okay. So Sunday, Michelle spoke at church, actually. She did. And she did an amazing job. Really great message. I'll put a link in the show And then Sunday night, you spoke at The Belonging. That's right. It's our church run by our friends Alex and Henry Seeley. If you haven't listened to their podcast, I'll link to that as well in the show notes. Great church. Love that church. Got to speak there Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. So that involved me pulling up my influencer for a solid seven hours. Got there at three, didn't leave till about ten. Yes. Yes. And we did, in the midst of all of that, manage to go to DeSanos. So that's all that, you know, really matters. Yeah, my message was fueled by DeSanos pizza. (laughs) Fueled by DeSanos. Yeah, I think part of the reason we decided to record early was actually because my cousins were coming in town for the weekend. Right. So it was a great weekend in that I got lots of quality time with my cousins and uh, they got to see our snake so, do you want to jump ahead and just do a snake update? The snake update is that the snake uh, did definitely die. Uh, <laughs> Paul went out on Saturday and put a stick underneath its head and like lifted its head up, sort of, uh, you know, up a couple of feet, and then pulled the stick away, and it just flopped against the tree. Paul being your cousin, yes, aforementioned, yes, the aforementioned cousin. And so we decided it was most definitely dead, although I still didn't want to get very close to it. And then I just took care of it like a man. I just mm. went down with my bare hands, took it off, shoved it in the trash. Is that how you want to play this? Because um, the truth would be <laughs> that neither the, of us wanted to touch it. The truth would be I turned into a little girl and just squealed at the thought of touching it right and And then we forgot about it because i got sick and life got busy and then wednesday rolled around and kate mentioned that soon vultures might arrive to visit the snake and then we would have to figure out how to get rid of vultures and so which by the way i was fine with that we did what brave people do didn't we baby we called our neighbor yeah (laughs) miss deirdre who god bless her came over armed with two plastic bags some like gloves and some sort of strange tool for picking things out of trees. Well, I think it's for picking up litter off the ground so you don't have to bend down. Oh. And she just used that. But the snake had decomposed so badly, it was coming off in pieces. So disgusting. Oh, so gross. So gross. And she was just like... <laughs> as well, happy as could be. Just, I, I don't know that she was really enjoying it, but she was lovely and she took care she of it. She was calm. Yeah, she I was, was like, calm. I was grossed. I was so grossed out. I was never happier to shed my masculinity in that moment. I'm like, you know what? You knock yourself out. <laughs> I'll configure Wi-Fi router. You just remove snakes from a tree. Yeah, we'd probably need to see if they have any technical needs that you can take care of this week. I'm going to go over and break stuff in their house. Uh-huh. And then fix it? Just um, and appear the hero because okay. at this yeah. point, we're so in debt to the number it, of things. It's ridiculous the amount of things they've done around our house. Um, yeah, it's unquantifiable. So the snake is dead. Yay. It is dead and gone now. And then, so rewind then. Monday, you got sick. 
I got sick. Which yeah. means I got to speak at Emanate. You did. I was supposed to speak. And uh, I got to teach on dreams again. Yeah. I'm loving this. For those of you who weren't at Emanate, I've been studying dreams in scripture. I've been I've read every dream and every interpretation in scripture. And my gosh, the amount of revelation the Holy Spirit showed me, I, I'm just loving it. So I'm loving dreams at the moment. I love how thorough you are in seeking understanding when the Lord is knocking on your heart about something. Well, I just think the Lord's so good. He always gives me a promise like, hey, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And I'm like, yes, I'd be very interested in what you have to offer. So, Right. And plus, it's a fascinating topic, so I love it. For sure. So that was Monday. That was Monday. Then Tuesday, I went back to speak at The Belonging. You did, and I stayed in bed. Like, uh. Yeah. uh, Moaning. uh. And then Wednesday, you convinced yourself you were better. And I I said, don't come in. You're going to get me sick. No. I'd quarantined myself. I was living upstairs. no. You weren't, though. You came down and used my bathroom and showered in the same room as I was in. So, you know. You think that's what did it? I think so. I think it was your lack of self-control and wanting to be in my bathroom. That. <laughs> what have you <laughs> need to tell it. yourself? Okay. Be born and play girl. Yeah, whatever. Uh, thankfully, the kids didn't get it. Nope. So that's very good. And uh, yeah. And then Thursday, we left. Um, our kids in capable hands and headed off to do the small group leaders retreat for the School of Supernatural Life, which is starting in a few weeks. This is where we take away all our new leaders or some returning leaders off to the Smoky Mountains, we take them away for a weekend and teach them how to lead and do a bunch of training. And I, I say we, but this week I got sick. So having arrived there, mm-hmm. I was just sick as a dog for the whole time. And so I actually contemplated looking up Uber to see how much it was to get driven back to Franklin because we were in (laughs) the loudest cabin I've ever been in. It was so loud. And it wasn't loud because of the people. No. Because we've been away with similar size groups before. Yeah. It was, this was a cabin with zero insulation. No sound insulation whatsoever. Every hinge, every bed spring, every door. Creaked. Made a noise. Yeah. Adam and Anna had the bedroom above us and I kept thinking like if they got up in the night to go to the bathroom that somebody was walking through our bedroom. So Mm -hmm. I kept waking up like, (gasps) you know, and then I'm like, oh, it's them above us, you know, and it's just because we could literally see the light on in their room through the boards above our head. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God. The ceiling was literally the floor. There was no concept of a subfloor or sound insulation or and it was so noisy. So loud. And every time you'd roll over in bed, you'd be like, it's okay, guys. I'm, I'm just rolling over in bed. I'm, I'm not There's doing anything else. There's nothing else going on here because it was so loud. Oh, good <laughs> oh Lord. Yep. So. so I was sick. How was it? I, I didn't see any of the weekend. I mean, wow. We have an amazing team. Um, Who was my stand-in for the speaking? I was. Oh, so they got the better half. Yes, they got the better half. Um, yes. So I, I just did your sessions. And then, of course, you know, Shannon and Matt teach some of it and then Sarah Pape makes us all look good. So it's a great it's a great team. It was it was easy enough to let you rest. And the scenery was amazing. Oh, beautiful. Like this is when I like nature from the inside of an air-conditioned cabin. Well, you did go out on the porch to fly the drone. I know, but it was super cool. There was hardly any humidity. Yeah, it was beautiful. And it was gorgeous at night. Yeah. And I got up early one morning to try and get the sunrise just before I got sick. But I didn't do a good job. I don't think we were facing the right way. For the sunrise. No word of a lie. We certainly got a good sunset, so. (laughs) No word of a lie. I had to Google what direction the sunrise is in. And I'm sure, like, this is common knowledge. And then I had to pull out the compass on my phone to work out which way east is. Okay. But you know, it always rises in the east and always sets in the west. It always does, Is that the same in Australia? Um, 
or does it get reversed? Well, that's an excellent question. I'd like <laughs> to really think about that. Don't think about it. Just Google it. Oh, all right. Okay. This is what Google says. In the southern hemisphere, the sun still rises in the east and sets in the west. This is because the movement of the sun in the sky is caused by the Earth's rotation, and the northern and southern hemispheres are obviously rotating in the same direction. Yes, that would make sense. Yeah, but you didn't know it. Well, I was wondering, because I know it's because of the way the Earth rotates, why it would be any different. But then they're all, I mean, I'm thinking about, like, the toilets flush different ways down there and whatever. Maybe I'm missing something. Right. Yeah. I'm okay. glad we have that sorted out. I now, can sleep now. Well, now I don't feel so bad for having to Google, if, you know, what direction it, it rises over here. I do know what's up. It, when it rises and sets in the country I live in without I'm Googling pretty it. pretty <laughs> sure nobody ever told me that. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was a great it was a great weekend. We got to float down the river, which, of course, you didn't get to do because you were in bed. Nope. And um, somebody left a dead possum that was disintegrating by the place where you jump off on the rocks. So that was lovely as well. <laughs> Did Hunter deal with that? <laughs> he said he doesn't deal with dead animals. If it was alive, he would have taken care of it. But because it was already disintegrating, it was avoided. What else happened? Um, oh, the eclipse. Yeah, the eclipse. You didn't get to see it because you were sick. No. I mean, I went out on my front step and saw what I could see from our house. But we weren't in the path. No, we were like a couple miles off the path. So I didn't see total darkness. It got dark, but not like total darkness. Did you see the video I filmed, by the way? I posted I it did. to Instagram. Yeah, I saw it. It was pretty dark where we were. It looked dark. We yeah. were in the path of total... What's Totality. It? Was it total? Is that what they said? Totality. It was so weird because as it was fading out, like it took a long time to fade out. I was like... This is taking way longer than I was anticipating. But when it actually gets to the point where it's just about to reach totality, it totally looks like a weird Instagram filter has now affected all of life. Yeah, like a greeny kind of color. Yeah. And yeah. then it went pitch black. All the streetlights came on. The cicadas. Is that cicadas? Is that what they're called? Well, it, probably it's crickets. Crickets. It's probably not cicadas. This they time. started doing their thing. And it was so weird. And for two minutes, we're in total darkness. And then it reversed. Yeah, so I had all of that, the weird green filter and all that, just not the total darkness. Mm, you missed that, baby. It was I amazing. Know. I was sad about that. You know what else happened that was almost as big as the eclipse? What? This week we opened up our listener survey. Oh, yes, we did. If you go to alanandaj.com slash survey, we are collecting feedback from people just like you who are listening to this podcast. And it's great because you get to speak to us about what you love, what you would like to change, how we can make it better for you. We get to know a little bit about you. I have read every single bit of feedback that came in. Oh, wow. Every email that comes in, I read it personally, and then I will share with you the aggregate data. Already, I've been super encouraged, and you you guys have given me some great ideas. In fact, the topic for tonight is from somebody who said, I would love it if you would teach on this. So congratulations, whoever sent that in. And even how you opened the episode was from yeah. some feedback as well. Yeah, somebody said, hey, it would be really good, because when we listen to these back-to-back, -back, we can't really tell when one has finished and another starts. So if you could tell us the topic that we're you're listening to it, it helps us work out which one you're listening to so i'm like i can do that easily so i'm Very trying that cool. so anyway if you could take the time go to alan and slash survey we would love it it also gives you an opportunity to win a hundred dollars worth of prizes some amazon vouchers or itunes vouchers whatever you'd like so please if you haven't already done that it's going to stay up for another week we'd love to hear from you all right shall we talk about our main topic let's talk about our main topic baby so our main topic is stewarding the prophetic words over your life. As in, so you got a prophetic word, 
Now what? Right. <laughs> right. What do I do with it now that I have it? So we have a couple of suggestions for you. Maybe yeah. a little a little list of things to do with your prophetic words. Not necessarily in any order. Yes, but at some point, probably do all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The first thing that we would suggest when you get a prophetic word, doesn't matter who it's from, is you want to test the word, you want to weigh the word. Um, in the New Testament, we're told to do both of those things. For example, in First Thessalonians 5.20, it says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That's a good one. But test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Basically, any New Testament prophet or anybody who's prophesying, it's really, really clear that they know in part, they see in part, and so they prophesy in part. What that means is part of the word is going to be really, really good, and part of the word is possible they've made a mistake. Depending on the maturity of a person, depending on the, the gifting level, no prophet is 100% accurate. Right. So you want to eat the meat, spare the bones. The most obvious test is to filter and sift the word through Scripture. Yes. So if you get a prophetic word that says, you know what, the Lord really says that... Um, uh, you're to divorce your wife and marry a younger model. That's not the Lord speaking because it's really clear in Scripture what he feels about that. Right. So you can know that's that's not the Lord. Right. So if there's kind of weird stuff in there, if there's not scriptural stuff, throw it out. But let's say it is Scripture. Let's say it's really, really good. What, what would weighing and testing look like in that in that scenario? Well, I think it looks like a couple of different things, but I think um, it also, it looks like inviting people into your journey sure. with you to help you weigh and test it. So people that you know that are in relationship with you, maybe people that are a little bit further down the road, um, invite them into the word and ask them to help you sort of weigh it. Sure, play it for them. Yeah. Let, let your leaders hear it, um, get your friends in and, and pray through it. And you, you get to have a sense of, does this feel like the Lord? Does this, what is it? Maddie's bringing me chocolate. Excuse me, my wife is just getting chocolate hand-delivered to her. Well, I'll just sit and watch. I'll get my own back. There's some lemon sorbet in the freezer. She knows nothing about this. Hey, baby, what what have you got there? Chocolate. You just had somebody hand-deliver chocolate to you, and you're going to eat it in front of your husband who's not eating chocolate? Yeah. These are extreme days. These are extreme days. They call for extreme measures. I, uh... <laughs> We're going to go back to eating healthy tomorrow. And so I was like, throw a caution to the wind. I really want some honeycomb covered in dark chocolate. And I happen to know that my neighbor bought some because she sent me a picture of it two days ago. So I just texted her and said, hey, are you home? Can I have some chocolate? So she sent one of her sweet children up with a uh, an offering, a chocolate offering. One last great hurrah. Do you want to hear how crunchy it is? Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's fantastic. Okay, that's going to be gross for anybody listening to that tomorrow. So, okay, I'll do the talking and mute your microphone. All right, so the first thing you've done then is you've weighed the word, you've tested the word. So the second thing, and not a lot of people realize this, but most New Testament prophetic words are invitations from the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. They're not declarations like this is going to happen. Some of them are, but the vast majority of them are invitations. They're, hey, do you want to? So at some point, it's it's the Lord saying, You've been asking me, what do you have for my life? This is me showing. Now I need a response. So it's good to actually say yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that was one of the things that I spoke on a few weeks ago is I think there's even stages of your yes sometimes, right. you know, where there's sort of a, 
A begrudging yes? Begrudging or reluctant yes. And then sometimes there's a resigned yes. Uh, but hopefully eventually we get to an excited yes where it's a wholehearted thing. Right. Um, but that's what he's looking for is that wholehearted yes. All right. Third thing, baby. Now that your mouth is free of chocolate. Well, it's still got some on the outsides, but it's all good. Um, the third thing is that prophetic words really are a diving board into a pool of prayer. So the the deal is you want to keep them before you and then just pray them back to the Lord. You know, let them fuel your journey with the Lord. Um, there's a great example of this in Scripture in 2 Samuel 7. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Yeah, it's amazing. Basically, Nathan comes in and gives David the best prophetic word ever. Right. And then look at what David does. Yeah, David turns around a couple of verses later and he actually speaks the prophetic word back to the Lord. I love it. Yeah. It's like he receives it from the Lord. It's mind-blowing. And then it says, like in verse 18, he goes in and sits before the Lord and just reads the word straight back to him. Yeah. I've done that so many times. I've taken the prophetic words the Lord's given and I've just said, Lord, you said, not not like in a challenging way, but like just reminding the Lord and reminding myself really of the words that the Lord's spoken. It's kind of like using your words to fight the good fight, isn't it? Right. It's just like, okay, actually, and, and especially when... You know, there are seasons where you have a word that is seems so contrary or so much better than actually what you're living in at the moment. Right. Well, let the hope rise up in you and fight a good fight with that mm-hmm. word. You know, partner your hope and your faith towards God actually telling you the truth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So quite fun. All right. Give me number four. Number four. Believe it or not, <laughs> most prophetic words take a while to come to fruition. Right. And whereby a while, you mean a lot longer than you or I would think or want. Right. Well, we're a fast food generation, right? right? So we want everything fast. And we're annoyed if we have to wait for any length of time. So sometimes, you know, you get a prophetic word or and, and you or you hear somebody get a prophetic word. And two weeks later, they're like, well, hasn't happened yet. And you're just like, are you joking? What, what year did we first meet David Wagner? Oh, um, well, what year was MJ born in? And then take 2012. Was Dave, oh, wow. So we met David in 2011. Yeah. Right. So the first time we meet David Wagner, actually, it wasn't the first time we met him. He, he, he spoke Sunday morning. We said hello. And then that night he was speaking at Iris Nashville, now Legacy mm-hmm. Nashville. Mm-hmm. And he was ministering there and we went to hear him. We didn't know him really at all. We Like I said, we'd met him that morning. And he was uh, prophesying up a storm. About 10.30, we need to get home to get, you know, release our babysitters. And so we just try to sneak out of the meeting. Right. And he stops us and he just says, Alan and AJ. And he gives us this huge prophetic word. But in the prophetic word, he says, the Lord's given you Iceland. Yeah. Um, the Lord is going to take you back to travel. I see you going all over the world. I hear you saying to yourselves, can we go to Europe for the weekend? And the Lord says, yes, you can. Now, I get that word, 2011. Yep. I came home that night mm-hmm. and I did a research on all the frequent flyer programs based on America because we'd stopped traveling. Yeah. So I did all my research on should I be with United? Should I be with American Airlines? Should I be with Delta? I um, made sure my passport was up to date. And I had it written, not because I thought the next morning I'm going to start traveling the nations, but part of me wanted to show the Lord, Lord, I'm taking this seriously. I'm saying absolutely yes. Yeah, you're partnering your faith with action and saying, I'm going to prepare my life to be ready so that when the go time comes, I'm ready to go. I don't have to get the stuff ready. I should have been getting ready already. And then for the next four or five years, we didn't travel anywhere. That's right. Uh, when did we go to Iceland? Uh, 
actually, we went last summer. So 2016. So 2016. So five years passed. Five years. We yep. go to Iceland yep. for the weekend. For the weekend. And we say to each other, hey, can you believe we're going to Europe for the weekend? And we remember David's word over right. us. So, I mean, oh, that all our prophecies would come to pass in, within five years. But right. my point was right. that night when I went home to get everything ready and, you know, uh, we went and bought luggage. Do you remember that? I, I went and bought new luggage. You did know, you? My little to me. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. So went and got luggage. Um, I researched the global, you know, visa entry program, or if that's called, you know, I I just researched everything because I was like, oh, I want to take this, and I knew not to think this this is a tomorrow word, but at the same time, you know, the word hasn't come to pass. I mean, it has in a part. I'm not doubting David's uh, prophetic pedigree by any stretch. I'm just right. saying it always takes way longer than you think it will. Yeah. And you can't get discouraged about that because you actually do want God's timing for things because that's when it's going to be best. Right. If the spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus, remember that Jesus himself in Revelation says, look, I'm coming soon. And it's and been it's several been a thousand hot minute, years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Number five. Yep. Sometimes, and you touched on this earlier, sometimes your prophetic words are given because the season of life that you're about to enter are going to look like the total opposite of the prophetic word that you got. And the reason that the Lord does that is he's so kind. He knows this season is coming, and he knows if you didn't have a prophetic word to hang on to, you'd be like, what the heck, Lord? What just happened? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you get the prophetic word, and then it seems like the exact opposite happens. And you're like, gosh, I guess the prophet missed it. No, it's the kindness of the Lord. Hold on to that word to get you through the season that looks like the absolute opposite. Because when you get out on the other end, you'll be thankful you had the word. Yeah. I mean, I've honestly used lots of prophetic words over the years that have been given to me as a lifeline in a dark season. Because the season looked like the opposite of what your word Absolute was? Absolute opposite. Isn't and that I so was funny? Just like, Ugh. Did you think the prophet had got it wrong? I did. You know, at different times, I sure. really did. Because uh, it's easy to get discouraged. You know, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I would have this sort of reoccurring visual of just sort of hanging on to God and just keep pushing towards the end of the tunnel kind of thing. So, yeah. It was funny because I was teaching at The Belonging this week and I was teaching on the whole thing of you've got to believe God. You've, you've got to actually say yes to what he's saying. You've got to agree with him. And I was talking about how, you know, many years ago, I, I lived in Scotland. I was a school teacher. All of the prophetic words that the Lord would give me in private you know, many of them have come to pass, but they seemed unimaginable. Uh, you know, when the Lord would speak to me, I'm a school teacher, the, the, the most pressing thing in my life was a PTA meeting. And right. yet the Lord would be saying, I'm going to send you to the nations. You're going to see deaf ears open. You're going to teach people to hear my voice all over the world. And I was like, Lord, how is that ever going to happen? Right. And then within three, four, five years, exactly what the Lord had prophesied had come to pass. Now I can't imagine my life without prophecy. Right. I can't either. I, I, I wouldn't want it. No. All right. Number six is take the doors that lead towards your prophetic words. So in obedience, respond to doors that are opening that seem to align with your prophetic words. Right. But that doesn't mean force them open. <laughs> that means in obedience, when they open, you start to walk through them. Right. Because we've done that in our life. We've seen that in the lives of the people we lead. They get a prophetic word. Hey, you know what? The Lord's called you. I see a great anointing of worship on you. And then they're frustrated that next week the pastor hasn't made them the worship pastor. Right. But there's other opportunities that are given to them. Hey, you could help with worship for the kids or you could help with worship for this small group or whatever. But because it doesn't look like the grandioseness yet of the word, 
they don't see the baby stages of the word, right? And the opportunity there. I mean, my my example of that was I felt like the Lord said I was going to be a teacher. I didn't know how that was going to work. You know, I I wasn't a public speaker. I I didn't I didn't like children. I didn't really like humans. And yeah, <laughs> in the midst of that, just shortly after receiving that word, I got asked by my church, "Would you would you be a speaker at a youth camp?" And again, I was like. No, like, I, what? <laughs> I don't like youth. <laughs> no, I've got, you know, no. And then I was just thinking, well, actually, the only prophetic words I've got are be, you know, I want you to be a teacher. So I thought, well, I'll try. Right. And that was, you know, that was my first ministry gig ever. Is that the one where you dressed up like an angel? Uh, yeah, that, that, that was that season. Yeah, I dressed up like an angel. I need to find that video. It's a great video. Double O Heaven. Devilo Heaven. Yeah, license that's to what fail. I, that's what I should start calling you. Hey, Devilo Heaven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should. So yeah, you're, the road to destiny is marked by many steps of obscurity. It is indeed. All right, seventh and final thing. Go for it. You got to understand that your prophetic words are easier to understand in hindsight than they are in foresight. Because if you try to guess what they mean, inevitably you're going to miss it. So... You you know, you, the classic example of that, the classic biblical example is Abraham with Isaac and Ishmael, mm-hmm. right? The Lord's going to give me a son. Oh my gosh, it's taking forever. He obviously just meant sleep with my wife's handmaiden. And Let me help him. Totally. <laughs> so I, I think about the prophetic words that we've received. Like I remember the word that got us here, all our words talked to us about church planting and pastoring. Right. Right? Now, those were the words that got us to move to Nashville. Since we've moved to Nashville, we have not church planted. Nope. We have not planted any church. Nope. But that language got us here. Yes. So is the word wrong? No, because like we planted Emanate, we've planted SOSL. And the church we came to was a church plant. <laughs> right, but what I, what I mean is like if the Lord had been more specific, I mean, the, the right. amazing thing about the Lord is he loves to speak in vagueness so we can explore possibilities. Right. If you think about like pastoring, uh, w- would you say that we're pastors today? Uh, no. No. In the eyes of the church, though, the, we, you know, we would be considered pastors, but we didn't have the revelation of the fivefold until two years ago. Right. So almost 10 years ago, when the Lord started speaking to about this, he had to use the language that was familiar to us. So right. uh, the word, hey, you, you know, you guys are church planners and you're pastors helped us arrive here where we have planted stuff and we have helped pastor. But what we tend to do is, is certainly within the confines of that word, but it's different from that word. Right. And you'll find, too, that your word isn't probably finished yet. Right. Often the Lord gives us a, a portion of a word to help us move in the right direction. Uh, because if he told us the whole thing of what, you know, the grand destiny that he has for us, probably we'd all just freeze and get Totally. You know, freaked out. Totally. So, in his kindness, he leads us with language that we understand and uh, opens doors to start to nudge us towards actually what he has for us. So, it's very cool. All right. Anything else you want to add on stewarding your prophetic words? I don't. I don't think so. I think. I think the main thing is just keep saying yes to God. Right. You know that because it is an invitation and it remains an invitation. That you keep saying yes. And as you go to deeper levels of sometimes the exact same prophetic word, just keep saying yes. I think also the, the most practical thing I'd encourage anybody to listen to this is get your prophetic words out, re-listen to them, 
type them out so you can read them. Yeah. Because you can read faster than you can listen. Yeah. Keep your prophetic words in front of you, review them, write them on your mirror, use them to challenge your environment. And that alone is one of the best steps you can have in stepping into your destiny. Yeah. Or highlight and circle things that that appear in more than one word. Right. You know, start to pay attention to, wow, I heard that, you know, two years ago and again there and again there and, and start to talk to the Lord about those things. You know, okay, God, you keep saying this. Can we talk about that? What do you, you know, how do I prepare for that? All so, right. You look like you're ready for some listeners' questions. I'm so ready for a listener question. What's interesting yes. is all three questions this week mm. were all sent in anonymously. Does that mean we're scaring people now? No. I, I mean, it will kind of make sense when you read them. Okay. But I was like, okay. oh, this is interesting. All right. This first one. Now, listeners, I apologize. This is a longish question, but it's such a good question. I'm going to start. I'm going to read a bit. We'll answer a bit of it, read a bit more, answer a bit of it. But I think it's going to be super helpful. All right. right, This is a question from anonymous listener number one. Dear Alan and AJ, my question is about being part of the local church body in a small town. Part of the context is that my wife and I are having very serious marriage problems, and my wife has resisted any marriage help beside her parents. My wife is a believer, but does not want to go to a local church, though I really do. Her parents, who live in our town, like the idea of being part of a local church, but seem to find something wrong with most churches they have visited over the years and feel they're all too religious, among other things. All right, let me just stop there. The first thing I want to say is, if you go to church to spectate, you inevitably become a referee. Yeah, there's no perfect churches. You're not going to find one that doesn't have stuff that you could criticize or focus on negatively. Absolutely. Yeah. And not doing something against the clear direction of Scripture, doesn't actually make you more spiritual. Right. So, okay, Okay. we continue. There are a couple of churches within a two-hour drive of us similar to Grace Center, but that's not feasible for us, and I don't think they would like that church anyway. There are a couple of local churches I'd like to check out, though they're not nearly as Holy Spiritish or prophetic, etc., but they are active in the community, and they love Jesus as best I can tell. Recently, I tried to bring up the subject again when my wife and I were together with her family and said how much I'd like to go to a local church, even if it's not perfect, and just be part of the solution as opposed to just avoiding it to get involved and serve where we can. Her mum told me I was wrong in this thought that most churches in our town are not following the Lord and would be unhealthy to attend and that until we get our marriage right, we can't really plug in anywhere, even in a good church, because we would be hypocrites. I disagree. I'm just going to leave a really long pause here because that's got to be one of the most insane statements I've ever read. I'm, I'm shocked by that. Right. Because I'm, I'm totally shocked by that. The notion that you can't go to church until your marriage is right is crazy. Um, how are you supposed to get your marriage right if you're not getting input? Well, that's like wait until you feel better before you go to a hospital. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Wow. I forget who it was. I should have looked up the quote, but there's a brilliant quote by a you know a, a really wise old man who said, "This church used to be a lifeboat rescuing the perishing, but has become a cruise ship attracting the promising." And so I can see where you might come up with this weird, twisted thing that you know, if I'm going to church where everybody's shiny and happy, I need to be shiny and happy. But that's really not the reason you go to church. Well, and hopefully you're not choosing to go to a shiny, happy church, but you're actually choosing to go to a church where you could potentially get some healing. Right. Well, the point is you go to church out of obedience to Jesus' teaching. Right. Because if we all stayed away from church until we were sin-free, 
would never go to church. Right. So with all due respect to your mother-in-law, she's absolutely incorrect about that. Yeah. So let's keep reading. Anonymous writes, my options are to stay compliant or to visit some churches on my own, though this would be seen as being defiant of my wife and her parents, who also claim spiritual authority over us both. I recently read the Boundaries in Marriage book, but I'm struggling with how to apply it right now. Okay, this is my second great pause. Because there are so many things wrong with that sentence. First off, your parents don't have spiritual authority over you guys. That, that's totally backwards. Now that you and your wife are married, you're your own unit. Right, so all the way through scripture, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be united with his wife, and they shall become one flesh, i.e. one operating unit. So it sounds like either you or her haven't... Left. Yeah. And you didn't do the leaving or the part cleaving. of the cleaving. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you've done the cleaving part, but <laughs> you haven't done the leaving part. So when you say, hey, we're having marriage difficulties, and I don't know what they are, I would imagine just that dynamic right there would be feeding some of your marriage difficulties for sure. Yeah. Any comment, AJ Jones? <laughs> um, yeah, I just totally agree with what you're saying, babe. Um, I don't think, like, I, I, I think it's wonderful to have parents that are believers that can give you input, but not parents that direct you or control you. Does that make sense? Right. Um, so, and particularly when it seems like what we're talking about is you're wanting to go to church and they're not seeming to want you or your wife to go to church. It's not like they're directing you in a way that would be scripturally uh, sound. Right. So, yeah, I just, I mean, just the thought of like, wow, okay, so this is, yeah, boundaries are so necessary in marriage. Right. They're so necessary. Everybody wants to have an opinion or have a say if you let them. Right. Um, But you kind of can't if you're going to have a healthy marriage. One of the factors in the health of our marriage would be that we have upheld boundaries. Yes. That both of us, it's not like, I think... There's a misconception that people think, because I teach on boundaries, I'm the boundary person in our marriage. Right. But heck no. I mean, and here's the difficulty. It sounds like you, sir, are spotting some of these problems, but it sounds like perhaps your wife isn't. That's unfair because I haven't heard from your wife. Right. But for example, it is my job to protect our marriage from my side of the family, and it's AJ's job to protect our marriage from her side of the family. Right. And we're in agreement about that. Yeah. And so... Here's the difficulty. If you agree with us, but your wife doesn't, it's difficult to see how you can actually set up the boundaries unless you're in 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 one accord. And probably one of the reasons you're not in one accord is she hasn't left her parents' authority. And her parents are asserting authority over you guys, which is a whole web of... And maybe her parents' parents did that to them, so they all think it's normal. Right. Yeah. So have them listen to this podcast accidentally. <laughs> And have fun with that. Anyway, it continues. Any thoughts for those of us who only have a small church to attend, but would love to attend a place like Grace Center if it were closer, though it may be far from perfect and doesn't have the same level of resources or prophetic, etc. as Grace or somewhere like Bethel, and any thoughts on my situation? I don't want to make things worse in my marriage, but it feels very one-sided and controlling for my wife to be so against me even visiting a church, and there could be many good reasons to go with or without her. I mean, I think... Just as an aside, um, 
I'm wondering if maybe your wife and your wife's parents have been really hurt at a church, and maybe that's more what's going on than anything else. I'm just wondering if there's some level of pain associated with church, so the risk for them just feels like it's way too much. So it's just easier to say, well, that's not a good church. Oh, and that's not a good church. Um, I think your your situation is, it's really difficult. Yeah, we're really sorry. It sounds very, very hard. Yeah. I think you touched on this earlier, babe, where you said no church is perfect. There, nope. there really aren't perfect churches. But for for me, like we're blessed. We we go to an amazing church. Like we love Gray Center. It's an absolute joy to be there. Yeah. Uh, we we absolutely love it. And yeah. Gray Center isn't perfect. There's things that we as staff would love to do differently. There's yeah. stuff that there's lots of room to grow uh, for sure. Yeah. But when picking a church for the bare minimum, you want a church that loves Jesus, preaches the gospel, teaches the word. Yeah. Right. Those three things are non-negotiable. Everything else is preferential. Right. So the vast majority of my Christian life has not been spent in a church like Grace Center. It was spent in a small local church with none of the propheticness, none of the Holy Spiritness, but they were all churches that loved Jesus, preached the gospel, taught the word of God. And you found community there and you grew. I'm, you know, I'm the man I am because of the church I went to. Right. Like the, the, the foundation of everything I have is because of the churches I was raised in, and I'm super grateful for them. Right. Did I want to leave when I found out more about the charismatic churches and these didn't seem open to it? Sure. Did the Lord say, stay put? Yeah. Am I glad? Yeah. I've got some of the longest, long-lasting friendships in my life because of my my church upbringing. So my, right. my encouragement is scripture is so clear about believers attending church. So if you can find a church that meets those three things, then you, you really need to be there. It's, it's a biblical instruction. It's an expectation Jesus had. We've covered this a lot in episode 65, episode 142, and probably in every other episode because we're huge believers of the local church. Yes. You know, yeah. I was I was thinking I was talking to Matt on the way home in the car as we we're driving home from our small group leader training. Yeah, and I was saying, do you remember when I was teaching on on finances and tithing? And mm-hmm. I did I I think I had a dream, and in the dream, the Holy Spirit said, "Stop asking me to rebuke a devourer. You keep feeding." Right, and it's that whole thing of it's funny how people will ask God to bless them financially, but won't obey what He said in order to achieve the blessing. Right. Right, so right. we're we are disobedient, and we don't factor our disobedience in. We just ask for more blessing. Right, we we'd rather more blessing than have to be obedient. Well, it's it's funny because in it, this is another situation of that. You've got believers all over the world asking God to bless them without them having to be obedient. So, so we ask God for a great church, for example, but we don't go to any church. I'm like, be obedient first, go to a church, and then ask for a blessing on that church. It's like, hey, God, I'd really like to be obedient, but I won't be obedient until you give me my preferences. Right. right. I'm like, that's mental. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I spent the vast majority of my Christian life in a church that didn't meet my preferences, but it was good for me. So, what do you do in your situation? Bro, your situation is so convoluted. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. It would be foolish of us to just jump in and expect to have answers. But a few few thoughts for you. One, sounds like your wife and you are going to need to set some boundaries with your parents-in-law, which could be interesting because your wife might quite like the way it's set up. 
So explore that with wisdom. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe she just doesn't know it can be set up differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Next thing is you guys really need to be part of a local church. Yeah. Right. If, if your wife doesn't want to go, at least you go. Yeah. Because you'll be blessed for that and good fruit will come from that for sure. And then number three, I, I guess I'm preaching to the choir here. You're going to need some help in your marriage. And it's, it's not going to be helpful to come from your parents-in-law. Because if it was, your marriage would be better than it currently is. So, oh yeah, your in-laws can't be your counselors. <laughs> I mean, that I I don't care how healthy they are or how healthy your marriage is. That's probably never going to be your a good that's scenario. A, that's a very strong reaction. Well, yeah, I can't. You wouldn't want Lana and Tyvin to talk to you about sex or uh, no. finances. No, Mm-mm. why? Mm-mm. So strange. I adored them though. <laughs> yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely did. So there's not a lot of help that you can get for yourself. God doesn't design us to thrive in isolation. We're designed to be in community. So we're. I hope that's helpful. It's probably all the stuff you already knew that you needed to be doing. So hopefully hearing uh, a confirmation of that would be helpful. All right. I've got a question for you, AJ. Are you ready? Okay. This is another question from another anonymous person. Okay. In regards to the fivefold ministry and figuring out direction... As what I like to think as being a mature Christian, how would you respond to church leaders encouraging people to step out of their comfort zones versus leadership trying to push a square peg into a round hole? If you really don't think a ministry is for you, should you still step out of your comfort zone to try knowing that God has your back anyway? I think what this question is asking is what do you do in a situation where your leaders are giving you opportunities that don't necessarily fit your gift mix or you don't feel like this is what you're called to? So I guess, honestly, in that situation, I think if your leaders are offering you to try something and they're, or they're just saying, hey, would you could you help us out with this? I don't think it has to be your, your calling to help out your leader and actually just go, yeah, you know what? I can help with that or I can try with that. I um, in, in Toronto, I served in so many different areas that I wouldn't have said are my calling. But because they asked me to, and there was a, a need there, I was happy to help because that's the church that I go to. And and really, honestly, I didn't even think I was called to speak or to minister, but I only ended up doing it because John made me. Right. There's the irony. In your current life, yeah. you didn't think you could do what you're so clearly gifted no. to do. Right. So um, I would say, yeah, try it. What I mean, how could it, how, it's not going to hurt. There we go. Right? So you'll learn things about yourself. You may learn that you don't like it. You may learn that you do like it. You may learn that it's part of whatever you're called to. But I always think, you know, if you have uh, healthy leaders that are offering something to you and saying, hey, would you try this? I think this might be something that you're called to. Or even if they're just saying, hey, we need help. I would say try it. I think I don't think you can lose in that situation. Very good. Yeah. Okay, I agree. All right, our third and final question. Yes. Again, it's about fivefold. Oh, dear. Why did you say, oh, dear? Well, because you're the guy that knows about the fivefold. Oh, sure. I'm the fivefold guy. Great. You're the fivefold guy. Right. Go um, on and ask me the question. Okay. So it says, I listened to your podcast, and it's been incredibly encouraging. My question relates to your sermon series from a few weeks ago on the fivefold ministry. My wife and I recently became elders in our local church, and we co-lead it with other couples. It's clear that the gifts you talked about are evident in their lives, and while I can see some of the gift of prophecy in my life in particular, I don't think it's my primary one. 
People believe that my primary gifting is administration, management, and organization. And I wondered how that fitted with your description of fivefold ministry. You hinted at the gifts of administration in one of your talks, but didn't elaborate. Thanks for any advice and guidance you can give. All right. Well, briefly, the fivefold, I think, is is like the, the spokes of a wheel or, or like the hub of the wheel. But I think there's there's clearly more gifts mentioned in Scripture than just the five gifts of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Right. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, for example, Paul writes, when he's talking about the order, he says, first are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers. And then he goes on, and evangelists and pastors aren't even mentioned on that list. So it's not that pastors and evangelists aren't important, they're just not mentioned on this list, but the other gifts that are mentioned would be those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Well, I'm reading there from the New Living Translation. If you look at it, in the, the NASB says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gift of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. So it's clear, like, there is a there is a huge scope of gifts within the church. You don't need to be one of the five, you know, the, you know, the big five that's mentioned in the fivefold ministry, to have a place in the life of the church, for sure. Right. And the other thing is you tend to grow into an understanding of your gifts. Like, I, you know, clearly one of the strongest gifts of my life is, is that of the teaching gift. Yes. Well, I didn't know that originally. It took other people to tell me, hey, when you teach, I learn. Like, there's something on your life that when you teach, I find it, you know, really easy to follow that. Well, I didn't, you know, walk in and go, hey, guys, I'm kind of a big deal here. I'm kind of a teacher. If you just sit down, let me just wow you with my teaching gift. It's not the way it worked. Like, I I just practiced things, and then people began to, to tell me what it was. So, no, you don't have to have uh, one of the five. You can have, you know, any of the myriad of gifts listed in Scripture, in, including some that aren't even listed. But, for example, you, you mentioned there that you think or you would identify that you have a strong gift of administration or organization or oversight. That's a genuine gift. Like, there, there's people in our ministry that I, the Holy Spirit has anointed them in this area. Like, Daniel Helson, who we've talked about, who worked with us for years, still works with us. She's our chief administrator at Grace Center. I mean, there is an anointing of the Holy Spirit on her to administrate. She can do it with ease. There uh, is order. There is structure. Her being connected to Jeff as an apostle is, is just like the best version of her gift in operation. Right. And so you may find that that's your gift. But like, honestly, part of Christian life is walking out and seeing what you are. I mean, I think we've dabbled in a lot of them in our lives. Like I can think of times where the most dominant gift in my life was uh, evangelism. Yeah, same. More, yeah, more so than teaching. Yep. And so, you know, it's 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 not that it's ebbs and flows, but I I I think the Holy Spirit will work in you whatever's needed in that season and then eventually people begin to look at you and call it out. Church leadership begins to recognize what it is and before you know it, you recognize, "Oh, I'm moving in one of these gifts." So, I I don't know if that's helpful. I think see where your gifts take you. Like, you know, my big journey in life is like, how do I know if I'm a prophet? Or how do I know if I'm an apostle? Or how do I know if I'm an evangelist? My advice is just see where does your gift take you? Yeah. Keep prophesying. And others will tell you too. Right. Yep. And and, and see how far your gift takes you. Yeah. It's good, baby. 
All right. To wrap up, if you would like to fill out that listener survey for us for a chance to win $100, go ahead and head over to alanandaj.com slash survey and fill out the survey there. And if you would like to ask us a question like these three anonymous people did this week, head over to alanandaj.com slash ask. Fill in your question. We'll do our best at answering it on air. And to get the show notes for this evening, go to alanandaj.com slash 162. We pray you have an incredible week stewarding your prophecies brilliantly and that you enjoy the favor and the grace of God. And we'll be with you this time next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee. They are just like you and me. Alan and AJ. Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. Sharing their life experiences. Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. They talk about faith in God. And everything under the sun. If you are a human being There's something here for everyone